Good morning, in the name of God, creator, redeemer, redeemer and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. So, somewhere between 150,000 years ago and 200,000 years ago, a very strange baby was born. The geneticist Rebecca Kahn calls her mitochondrial Eve. She would become the original mother to every single human being currently alive on the planet. In other words, if every single person on the planet right now were able to travel backwards in time from their mother to their mother's mother to their mother's mother's mother all the way back 150,000 years, eventually every single person would end up in a cave somewhere in Africa where they would find a troop of primates staring down at this mutant baby with an unusually small face and a high, round, smooth forehead. I imagine that the animals who witnessed this birth must have reacted to her odd appearance with this instinctive kind of dis-ease. I can almost hear them muttering and lowing with a vague agitation as they took in the sight of this scrawny, hairless baby. If they had had the capacity to render judgments of any kind, they would have worried over her birth defects, but they lived at the very end of a vast time of innocence before any beings on the planet had developed a cerebral cortex capable of worrying about anything. But that would all change with this new baby. Geneticists tell us not to think of her as the first human, but in my desire to create an origin story, that's what she is to me, the first human born to animal parents. I imagine her at the age of seven or eight years old on a warm human night somewhere on the edge of the rainforest staring up at the, at the stars and suddenly she sits bolt upright and points at the sky and screeches out the first question ever posed. Why? So we are all related to that first little girl born so many years ago. And like her, we love a good origin story. Thanks to her, they are, origin stories are literally part of our DNA. We have this built-in genetic capacity to wonder about who we are and where we've come from and how we got here. That's what origin stories do for us. They locate us in the universe and answer our deepest questions. So, <clears throat> now fast forward from 150,000 years ago to 15,000 years ago. The Babylonians have come up with this origin story that was typical for cultures of its time. 
they imagined a primordial mother named Tiamat, who is this giant serpent or dragon who gave birth to the first pantheon of gods who would then become her lovers and her murderers. One of them, Marduk, in an epic battle for power, finally crushes the skull of Tiamat and splits her wide open. Her ribs become the vault of heaven. Her weeping eyes become the sources of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Her viscera become the earth from which we emerged. So if you are a Babylonian warrior at that time, going into battle with your battle axe, you would feel at home with the gods. You would be untroubled by what you are about to do. You would be one with Marduk. Move ahead about another 10,000 years, more or less, and a, a different origin story begins to circulate. This one among the priestly class of ancient Israel at first. Instead of everything being born from blood and slaughter, we begin to hear a new story, a story in which everything comes to be through the majestic and entirely nonviolent word of God. In the beginning, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that it was good. Some biblical scholars believe that the Babylonian goddess's name, Tiamat, is a cognate for the Hebrew word that gets translated in our biblical creation story as the waters of the deep. In other words, the bloody chaos that lies at the center of all things is transformed by a single word into the goodness of the created order. According to this origin story, the universe is not a violent and brutal place at its core. It is essentially peaceful and beautiful and orderly. So now, if you're a young warrior, you're spending your days smashing skulls, you might feel that this is oddly unfulfilling now. You're more likely to be troubled by what you've seen and done. You might begin to wonder if there isn't a better way to settle disputes. Move ahead now, another 300 years, give or take. It's a time of relative peace and prosperity under the rule of Alexander the Great. Literacy and learning is widespread. The Hebrew Bible has been translated into Greek because that's what everyone speaks. And suddenly there's a new origin story being told. A new Godhead shows up at the creation. Her name is Wisdom. 
She appears as the great mother present at the creation. She is the force of order that holds all things together. She is the reason why the world is knowable. And she's the reason why the pursuit of wisdom is the highest virtue. Because she was present at the creation, her being is woven into the very fabric of the universe. She knows the secrets of every heart, and she will rule, she will hold the rulers of the empire accountable to her laws of justice. Those of us who would like to believe that all the world's religions ultimately point to the same source are big fans of this, of this time when Greek philosophy married Jewish theology because the love of wisdom is cherished in so many of the great world religions. But in the third century before Christ, this was not so obvious. In fact, this origin story was competing with other origin stories on all sides. On the one hand, there was the movement to reject all Greek influences, to rout the Greeks from the land, to put an end to foreign occupation, to revert to an absolute obedience on the purity of the Jewish laws of Moses. And on the other side were the atheists of the day, described in the Book of Wisdom as those who believed they were born by mere chance. These were the ones who thought that when they died, they would be as though they had never been. They would just disappear. They believed that reason was merely a spark kindled by the beating of their hearts and nothing more than that. And that reason had nothing to do with the deepest purpose of the universe. They were wealthy. They were self-indulgent. They lived purely for their own power and pleasure unaccountable to any higher power or intelligence. Well, the centuries move on. There is rebellion against the Greeks, followed by a brief period of independence, and then along come the Romans, who frankly didn't care what your quaint little ethnic origin story was, as long as you kept it to yourself, paid your taxes on time, and played along with the idea that Caesar was the son of God. And so finally we come to the beautifully subversive origin story told this morning. The famous prologue to John's gospel. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus of Nazareth this peasant from Galilee, this Jew of no account who was crucified for the crime of competing with Caesar for the title Son of God, this Jesus, within 40 or so years of his death, is given the position that wisdom occupied in the Greek origin story. It is Jesus who is present at the creation it is his substance that shapes the very fabric of the universe, and that substance is logos, the internal order of all things. Logos is the opposite of chaos. It is the force of light and order and peace. It's the ground of all being that all people can apprehend and live in harmony with. 
So all people are born of this substance. It is the blueprint of the universe. It draws us into lives of selfless compassion and service. This origin story would change everything. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. These origin stories make a difference to us, you know. They matter to how we live our lives. They tell us whether we should trust our neighbors or kill them. When we wonder if the truth matters, when we're tempted to believe the universe won't hold us accountable to the facts, when we're tempted to think of love as nothing more than a temporary delusion, just a bunch of chemicals reacting in the brain, when we wonder if there's any purpose to our lives beyond survival and ruthless domination, when we wonder if it makes any sense to try to be good, or if goodness is a sucker's game because the creation is rigged in favor of the strong, these are questions that are answered by our origin stories. We live in an extremely rare moment in human evolution right now. It's a time when there is no dominant origin story that holds us all together in a single universe of meaning. It's fallen to each of us to choose our own origin story. As for me, I choose this one from John's Gospel. Not because I think it makes sense scientifically necessarily, but because it describes for me the essence of what it means to be human. It puts into words the deepest truth that I know, which is this. Do you want to live in harmony with all of reality? Would you like to have the purpose of your life revealed to you? Then do as Jesus did. You don't need to be an emperor. In fact, the less power you have, the better. You don't need a PhD. In fact, it's what you do that matters, not what you think. And this is what you do. Serve the poor. Protect the oppressed. Love your enemies. Speak truth to power in the name of love. Do this and the universe will respond. Your love will not be your own. It will be nothing less than the power of the universe itself. And you shall be known as a child of God. Amen.